The underlying thing is that music is about people. Music is really an excuse. Uh, it's a way for people to connect with each other. If we could do it in another way, you know, if there was something else, I, in fact, there is, there's food, there's books, there's films, there's all kinds of ways I'm obsessed with people getting together and connecting with each other. Um, it's just that when I was 13, music was it. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. I know there are a lot of podcast options out there, and I'm really grateful that you choose to spend an hour or so each week listening to this one. So thanks for checking this out. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went to see the Jesus Music film. This is a definite must-see if you're a fan of Christian music and uh, want to know a little bit more about the Jesus Music and how we kind of got the industry to where we are today. It was a lot of fun for me to see a lot of my childhood heroes on the screen sharing their journey through music. If you haven't seen this, you should definitely check this film out and make a point of finding it. There are interviews with a who's who of artists, including Amy Grant, Toby Mack, Michael W. Smith, Love Song, C.C. Winans, D.C. Talk, and a guy named John J. Thompson. Like me, John is an uber fan of Christians making music, and he is one of the key historians that the Irwin brothers interviewed in this film. Well, today, we get to sit down with John and hear a little bit about his story, about his passion. And I love his statement. His statement is, I love to listen to music better and to listen to better music. So I think this is a conversation you're going to want to listen to. We'll get to our interview in just a minute, but I'm excited to first tell you about the work of Mercy Inc. in Colombia. They have a project there called Soy Satura, which is helping feed kids who are crossing the border from Venezuela to go to school. You see, the schools in Venezuela are not very good, so moms are taking their kids to school in Colombia where they can get a decent education. Now, the Colombia government is willing to provide an education to these kids, but they won't feed them like they do the Colombian children. And most of these kids from Venezuela are from really poor families that don't even have money to feed their kids. So Mercy Inc. is taking soybeans to create both food and juice that they are able to feed these kids, sometimes the only meal they will get in a day. I sure would like to share more about the Soy Satura project and how you can get involved. Would you head over to the website christianmusicarchive.com mercy so you can learn how you can help feed these kids? Our intent is to make a difference around the world through this podcast, and one of the ways we do that is through the work of Mercy, Inc. So again, head over to christianmusicarchive.com mercy and discover how you can make a difference to the children of Venezuela. Well, I'm honored to welcome John J. Thompson to the podcast today. John is a music industry veteran. He's been a musician publishing executive, author, promoter, retailer, pastor. Well, he's worn a lot of hats over the years. I'm surprised he has any hair left. <laughs> but he is also a major music fan, and that's where I've got connected with him. And he also has a desire to see us all listen to music better and listen to better music. We're going to talk about that statement. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. It's really good to be here, Dave. I got to know you through True Tunes. Yeah. Way back in the day. The original version. The original version. Yep. OG. And yeah, the OG. <laughs> right. Right. So let's, uh, uh, for those people who may not know who you are, they obviously don't listen to much music stuff, but let's talk <laughs> a little bit about you, who you are and why Why are you so into music? I mean, wow. <laughs> that's going to yeah. be a three-hour conversation, I know, but we'll condense it down. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You know, I... Uh, I was just obsessed with music from the time I was really, really little. I mean, yeah. as, as far back as I can recall. And uh, 
my childhood, my earlier years were pretty traumatic um, without going into a lot of details, just a very difficult, my biological father was a difficult person and caused a lot of trauma. And so I turned to music um, as an escape um, mm. f- from the time I can remember. And in fact, I had headphones and there's a picture of them in, inside my book, um, but they're like those pre-Walkman headphones that oh, kind yeah. of stuck out and they had the antennas and they had the radio built into oh, the headphones. Yeah, yeah. They literally would drown out the sound of of mm. bad things happening, you know. And so music was an escape, but it was also something I was using to try to um, decode the mm. chaos. You know, it was. Yeah. Um, I was looking for meaning in it from the time I can remember. So my mom uh, had become a Christian. She, she'd grown up in the church, but she, she really got serious about it, had this salvation experience at the tail end of the Jesus movement um, in the early 70s. So I was about three, four years old. And all of a sudden, there's this, uh, you know, Jesus music playing in the house, records by Love Song and Honey Tree and things like that. Yeah. And so that, that was also something, a, a lot of it I really enjoyed quite a bit. Some of it, not so much. Some of it was just a little too, you know, I, I mean, maybe when I was three or four, I wasn't that, I, I guess I probably was pretty judgy still. It was maybe in my <laughs> DNA, but um, I do remember a kid's record called Music Machine that came oh, sure. into our life at some point. And, and, and the thing is, there's good kids music and there's not great kids music. And mm-hmm. that was a really good kids record because yeah. the musicianship on it is actually really, really good. That, yeah. that was, it came out of this uh, kind of hippie Christian commune group out of Texas, yep. but they, they got great musicians and Barry McGuire is on bullfrogs and butterflies. And, um, that probably had a big impact because the, the songs were about the fruit of the spirit and, yeah. um, you know, Bible study lessons, but with serious music and very singable. And, um, and I just thought, you know, this, this is pretty cool, but I also really liked Kansas and yeah. the Doors and Bob Dylan and James Brown and the Isley Brothers and man Stevie Wonder and you know so yeah it was just this soup of stuff and um when I got a little bit older we we went through this kind of traumatic exit to get away from my biological mm-hmm. father and right before we we had to go into hiding actually and oh, wow. right before that happened my grandmother gave me two cassettes and a cassette player it was one of those top loading oh yeah Radio Shack deals. Yep, yep. I had and, one myself. Right. And one of them was DeGarmo and Key's album, Straight On. Nice. And she made the mistake of saying, you know, because she knew I was listening to secular rock, you know, <laughs> and I found a college radio station that was playing really weird new wave and you know, early punk stuff. And yeah. my mom was worried. And I think it was the Talking Heads Psycho Killer song that probably put her over the top at one point. <laughs> um and so because I knew it was Christian, I, I didn't really listen to it right away. Mm-hmm. I, and, but it wasn't that I wasn't into Christianity. It was just that I assumed it was going to sound like Love Song and Honey Tree and Sandy Patty or something yeah. like that. Yeah. When I finally did, we were living at a rescue mission uh, in the battered women's section of a rescue mission uh, called the Wayside Cross. Everything I owned fit in one duffel bag. Oh. And uh, I finally, out of probably boredom and desperation put that tape in and listened to it. And it just blew my mind. The music was so good. And one song in particular jumped out at me called living on the edge of dying. And it was so good. It was, the music was great. The lyric was great. And I was like, okay, wait a second. You know, like this, it felt like a lifeline to me. And you're how old at this point? Uh, 10. Okay. I was 10. Um, so that, that kind of was like a, a, a compass moment where I felt like, okay, now this, I'm, I'm going to kind of set my compass by this and say, if this can be musically this good, yeah, lyrically this good. Now I have no other frame of reference at all. Like I haven't heard anything else. You yeah. know, I, I, I probably actually had heard a couple of Larry Norman's songs okay. because his songs you know, I wish we'd all been ready and sweet song of salvation. They had spread throughout the Bible study world, but I wasn't aware of the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that, that one tape was enough to have me go, okay, there's something out there. There's a planet somewhere in which there's 
really cool rock music that's talking about Jesus. And this Jesus is kind of tough. This yeah. Jesus is not afraid of the pain that I'm going through. This Jesus is not a Pollyanna Jesus. Uh, this Jesus is can handle this this kind of scary world I'm in. I find that interesting that you're th you're thinking this as a 10-year-old, because I don't think of many 10-year-olds who are thinking about what do these lyrics really mean? So was this because of the traumatic experience you'd gone through? You were just looking for something that was meaningful? I think so. But, you know, I, I guess we all kind of are in the body that we're in and the head that we're in and how much do we really know about yeah. ourselves. But I think that to some extent it was that I needed something. Mm -hmm. There's also probably something about me that's just always digging. I, I'm an analyst and I'm, I'm looking for meaning and patterns and things, you know, all yeah. the time. My kids give me a hard time about it. It's kind of a sport, <laughs> like, a, you know, they, 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 they find it amusing, but, and so, so maybe God put that in me because that was going to be something I was going to need, yeah. you know? So, uh, who knows really chicken or the egg, which came first there, but, um, regardless, I found it in that. And then one day I was at this Christian camp where they had relocated us. We were still in hiding. And I had that tape and a tape by Pat Terry group. I didn't quite get the Pat Terry one mm -hmm. yet because it was a little too John Denbury. Yeah. Like I listened to it still. Um, and there was, there's, it was okay. But, but the DeGarmon Key one I loved. Later, I discovered some Pat Terry stuff that I love just as sure. much, his 80s stuff. But, yeah. but that one, Heaven Ain't All There Is, was a little, you know, a little too lightweight for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the camp counselors heard me listening to this DeGarmoyne Key tape, and he's like, oh, man, you like DeGarmoyne Key? Now, again, this is like 1980. Right. And uh, I said, oh, my gosh, you've heard this. Like, <laughs> I don't know what this is. My grandma gave this to me, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's Christian rock, man. That's really cool. That's You're pretty hip to have that, oh, like, for cool. a 10-year-old kid. You know? yeah. He's like, do you want to hear some more? Because this was a camp counselor. He had brought a little stack of records and a record player, and mm. he'd spent the whole summer at this campground as a counselor. So he had Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, Mark Hurd, um, Servant, Resban, uh, Daniel Amos, all the great stuff. Yeah. He had the records and he played it for me, but it was like a one-time thing. I could hear it, but I couldn't own it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I'm memorizing it as best I can, you know, and at the end of that summer, he goes away and it's like, I know this music's out there. Yeah. But I kept having my mom take me to the, take me where they sell Christian music. And I go to all these Christian bookstores and nobody knows any of that stuff. It was all Sandy Patty, Lernell Harris. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They wanted to give me, oh yeah, we've got Steve Green. Oh yeah, we've got, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And they, yeah. they would have demo stations where you could listen to tapes and I'm rifling through stuff. And I finally found a couple of stores with a couple of people who knew about kids like me. Okay. Like they knew that stuff and they yeah. referred me to like, you need to talk to there's this guy, Mike Delaney at this one Christian bookstore over in Carroll stream. You got to talk to him. And I would get my youth pastor to drive me over there. And, you know, I, and everybody I think in my life knew I needed a little extra attention. It was like yeah. a big brother, big sister program. Mm. Like I needed some help. I, I was, you know, had gone through some stuff and music was the thing that was kind of helping keep me alive at that point. Yeah. Well, I found some of it on records and I started to find Cornerstone magazine and CCM magazine, to an extent, they would talk about some of that stuff. Yep. I started to get some records, but, um, and there was a radio station in Chicago that played basic Christian music all day. But okay. after a little while, they, in fact, I remember <laughs> for a while I was listening to the Christian music and I was going, man, this stuff is just so lame. You know, yeah. I, I just, most of it was so boring. And it sounded like it came from another planet where everything was perfect. Uh, now, this was yeah. a couple years in. Yeah. My mom has, uh, you know, we've come out of the hiding situation. The kind of urgent thing was was a little bit over. And uh, my mom had actually remarried a great guy. And and we're living in this, all of these kids, we're living in this tiny apartment, <laughs> with no, no personal space. And um, I'm, I got my headphones on. I'm listening to this Christian radio station because I thought, well, maybe, you know what? All the mature Christians in my life mm -hmm. who were all adults, yeah. they listen to this stuff. And so maybe the problem is I'm not a mature Christian. And I, I had gone to some youth retreats. I'd listened to some speakers. I was like, I want to have this spiritual maturity. Like I want, I want peace is really what I yeah. want. And I don't feel peace. And one night I'm listening, I'm drawing in my sketchbook and I'm listening to this Christian radio station play the same Wayne Watson song for the yeah. 50th time that day. <laughs> right. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, I'm going to pull my hair out. And 
even Amy Grant, who I, I can completely respect, you know, and, and adore her for what she does. Yeah. But at that age, that I, that's not style. what I yeah, needed. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then in the middle of a Wayne Watson song, the guy picks up the needle and just says into the microphone, things are changing and then starts playing this new wave rock song. And it was so cool. It was Uh, called Renaissance Man. And then another song comes out of that called Mannequin Virtue. And it's another new wave song. And then our hard rock song starts playing. And he's talking over the intro and he's like, can you believe this stuff is Christian? I thought that when he said things are changing, he meant it was not a Christian station anymore because this stuff was way too cool to be Christian. And he goes, this next band is our own hometown heroes, resurrection band with military uh, man. And then he cranks it up and I lost my ever loving mind. I <laughs> unplugged the headphones. So the music comes blasting out of the speakers. My family's all watching the A team or something. And they, they think that, you know, the sky is falling yeah. in the apartment. And my dad, my, this is my now adopted yep. dad. He was my stepdad at the time. He had been in rock bands in the sixties and he kind of knew that look you yeah know, he was like yeah. oh john johnny's gone I'm like, <laughs> like we've, we've lost him fortunately it's for the something good but yeah that night i just thought okay now i found that planet again i yeah. found that i found that world that that camp counselor had introduced me to and i called the dj and i was like okay man i've been looking for you for years like <laughs> I remember these bands and he just sat with me on the phone and he's like, yep, this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And he started telling me and I said, and then, and then the next year Cornerstone Festival came that started happening. And I went to the first Cornerstone Festival and I watched the 77s play. I watched Resman. I watched Carrie Livgren from Kansas play. And I said, I don't know what, how it's going to happen, but I'm going to dedicate my life to building bridges between these artists and kids like me. Yeah. And I was a musician myself. I was a singer. I was starting to write songs. I just felt like, man, this there's so much power here that that God wants to reach kids like me. Yeah. Love wants to reach kids like me. And music is one of the ways that it happens. Yep. And I just want to, but there's just, there's just distance. There's yeah. this distance between the fans and the artists. And I, I have this instinct that maybe I can bridge that gap. Maybe, maybe that I got some ideas. The other thing I was really sick. I had a lot of health problems and I had a lot of free time. So I wrote this manifesto. I sat and I wrote a a notebook full of notes and I started to do research. Like, what's it going to take? And I knew I needed to have a record store and a concert venue and a magazine and all of the, I had to fill in the blanks. What are the ways we're going to build this bridge? And I I came up with the name True Tunes when I was about, gosh, 14 and wrote the whole manifesto. And my first job when I was 16, other than two weeks working at Ponderosa, was music buyer at a Christian bookstore. And by the time I was 18, I convinced the owner of that Christian bookstore, which was Wheaton Religious Gift Shop, to finance the launch of True Tunes and and uh, just kind of ran away with the circus, or it ran away with me. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's, that's the whole thing, man. Well, it's cool to see, because I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, you know, I was looking for some music, looking for something that reached me. And I don't care what musical genre it is. Mm-hmm. but they find that it album, that it song that says there is something out there for me. Yeah, right. um, I'll never forget. My mom always listened to, you know, pretty much Fanny Crosby, the old church hymn stuff. And I introduced her at one point to Bill and Gloria Gaither. And for mm-hmm. her, that was the, oh, there is music that I enjoy. Now, I didn't yeah. like it at all. <laughs> Right. But I remember there, I am a promise record. I liked that when I yeah. was about five. Yeah. But, but that whole, that. that whole thing that there is yeah. music out there for people, we just have to find it. And so that's kind of what you were, you were struggling with is how do I help people find the music that connects them? And primarily some of you were looking at more of that rock alternative punk side of things, because that's where you were, right? Yes. And you know, the underlying thing is that music is about people when we do Mm. it right. And this is all about people. All of this, all that I'm talking about is about people. Music is really an excuse. Uh, It's a way for people to connect with each other. And um, if we could do it in another way, you know, if there (laughs) was something else, in fact, there is, there's food, Mm, there's books, there's films, there's all kinds of ways I'm obsessed with people getting together and connecting with each other. Yeah. Um, it's just that when I was 13, music was it. The other thing is that music as an art form has a way to kind of bypass or, or work almost 
supersedingly with our intellect. Mm -hmm. So it can bypass our intellect to where we end up acceding to things that we wouldn't rationally agree to, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to, it can help teach us things. Uh, I remember the altar boy song when you're a rebel when I was whatever, 14. Yeah. She just, Mike Stan just screams out, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable and perfect. And then he sings this song when Mm -hmm. you're a rebel. Now, that's exactly what I needed at yeah. 14 years old yeah. was a Christian big brother screaming Romans 12, two to me. Mm-hmm. And that was educational. Now, really what it is was it was people connecting. It was, it was under that was I needed to feel like there was a tribe for me. Right. And that's the reason I'm convinced that's the reason that sex is so powerful in music is because people want to connect. They mm-hmm. want intimacy. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it wrong. Yeah. That's why concerts are so popular. That's why festivals are so popular. That's why people are taking drugs. They want to either escape something that's painful or they want to transcend and touch something that feels like it might be spiritual. It's all ultimately about either transcending something mm-hmm. or connecting with other people, which is also often about transcendence. And so to me, music at its best is always about people. And I have said for years, I don't believe in secular music. I don't think it exists. Mm. I think all music is essentially spiritual. And so from the time I was young, the idea that there was secular music, I'm talking long before I ever heard that DeGarmo and Key record, to me, it was all spiritual. The only question was, is it true or is it false? Yeah. Which spirit is it pushing to? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and I can say that I think some people take that a little too literally and they were like, oh, well, then this is demonic or this is, I think that there's other kinds of spirits. There's selfishness, there's commercialism, yeah. there's pride, there's violence, there's there's all of those spirits going on that are a lot, I don't need there to be a devil in red tights, you know, that's <laughs> off here right, kind of right. thing. Worship me, worship me, like John Lovitz in an SNL skit. <laughs> All I need is is somebody to say, you know what? Let's let's take the gospel and empire. Let's take the gospel and the military power and strength, and let's have our faith be in God and weaponry. Mm-hmm. Like let's mm-hmm. let's just add a little bit so that we're putting our trust and faith in in chariots and horses and Jesus. Let's have it all right. That's just a subtle little little thing. And what I need are people in my life that can hold me accountable, people that can love me even when I'm, you know, screwing up, people that can recognize when I'm struggling. And as a kid who was struggling so clearly at such a young age, I think it was a blessing in a way because there was no hiding the fact that I was screwed up, Mm. right? And so the idea of going for music that I felt was spiritual at its essence, holy in some way, and then just settling for music that was selling me cheeseburgers or girls' body parts was just completely unacceptable. Even at at 12, 13 years old, I just could not even imagine that that was the best we could do. But nor could I accept that the best we could do was just coming up with lame Christian versions as an alternative to the real thing. Mm, right. So when people said, Oh, here's a Christian version of ACDC or here's a Christian version of Madonna. I'm like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. That's yeah. And I was raised with mentors, youth pastors, friends at church that were like, let's find the truth in that Springsteen song. Let's not look for a Christian version of Springsteen. Mm. Springsteen's got enough in there for us to find. Let's just do that. Let's, and even if the music seems like it's anathema, let's say, what is it that's so popular about this? What are, yeah. what is every, you know, take, take there's always going to be a, a value in that. And so when I talk about listen to better music and listen to music better, which has become the mantra of the new version of True Tunes, I'm saying that we've got to roll up our sleeves. If we, if we really want to honor the artists that are doing this hard work mm-hmm. and we want to take advantage of the fact that music is about people and community, we're doing this together. Yeah then let's, let's listen to better music. So that means I want you to tell me about what you love yeah. and why, yeah. how it's affected your life. I want to, I want to constantly hear new music, mm-hmm. new music by the artists I already love and new music by people I don't know yet. I don't want to get comfortable just listening to the classic stuff from when I was 
16 years old right. or 18 years old, which is what most people do. I want to hear new stuff. I want to be, have my mind blown constantly. I want to expand my tastes. I yeah. want to, I want to grow constantly. I want to hear new, I want to listen to better music all the time, but listening to music better means what is really being said here? What is going on with yeah. the, with the melody? What's, what's the counter melody? What's, what's, what are, is this really just kind of rehashing the same thing over and over again? Or did they, did they do something innovative here? And, yeah. and if they did, what's it based on? And then going back and listening to a record that came out 50 years ago and saying, now let's go back and listen to this really carefully. We just mm. did a thing on Aretha Franklin's amazing grace record. And yeah. we, we got to go back and listen song by song and realize what she was doing. She was taking hit songs. Like you've got a friend and blending it in with a gospel song, like t- from Thomas Dorsey. And she was turning that into something new. It's like, have we thought about what she was doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's like, it's all of that because we get to do that in the context of community and friendship. And then it's iron sharpening iron. Yeah. Then that music is yeah. creating, it's sparking friendship. It's, it's driving us forward. And, and I'm pushing against the silos, the social media drop boxes, mm. the, the screen time that has happened, uh, which is, is on the verge of killing what we love about, about music. And so that's a long answer to a short question, but it's, it's all part of the manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think about when I first started getting into music myself and I smuggled the stereo downstairs into my basement because I knew my mom and dad wouldn't let me listen to this music. And I would go to the music store and I, like you had a guy that said, Oh, I just got this album by Daryl Mansfield called revelation. Ooh, that had that you, Bible study song. Yeah, man. you should listen to this. <laughs> or he he gave me this album of, this is a brand new artist by a guy named Steve Taylor and had him walking down the pews of the church, whatever. Right. You should, right. So I had somebody doing that. But what did I do? I went home, put on my headphones. Now, part of that was so mom and dad wouldn't hear what I was listening to. But I would right. read the liner notes mm-hmm. and listen to the music intently, looking at credits, looking at the lyrics, looking at all this stuff. And now when I get a new album typically where I find it is I heard it on a Spotify spin or on a station and it's just in the background and, Oh, that's kind of cool. I don't devour it like I did when I was a kid, when I was really into looking for this stuff. Right. And so I hear, I mean, even with the stuff that we're singing in church, there's a lot of good songs that we sing in church, but it's like listening to the radio. We, Oh, we're singing this song. Now let's sing it. When was the last time we really stopped and listened or evaluated the lyrics that we're singing? And are they true? And are they really, are they really matching up with what scripture says and how I can be impacted by that? And we don't anymore. We're we're in this consumer society where we just, okay, hey, here's a new album, go listen to it and we're done. You know, we don't dig in. Right. So, so I'm kind of interested for, for our listeners who maybe are thinking, I'd like to dig a little bit deeper. What are some of the tricks that you've found as you're starting to dig deeper into, now you've never stopped digging deep, but for encouraging right. us to say, how do I spend more time? Sure. You know, I, I, maybe the only time I have is in the car driving to work or whatever. Right. Well, that's <laughs> fine. I, um, a couple things. One, and what we're trying to do on our show is to By the way, your show, you're talking about the True Tunes podcast. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The True yeah. Tunes, I got the name back a couple of years ago and we've relaunched it just as a podcast and, yep. and articles at truetunes.com. And by the way, guys, check this out because it's got a ton of good stuff on it. Some great interviews. And and he also has a soapbox that he stands on at the end of every episode and talks <laughs> a little bit more in depth about you know this stuff. Yeah, so I don't bit. mean to distract what you're going to say, but I want to get people to definitely go check well, this out. So I appreciate that. And I, and I guess the, the point is that the um, what we're trying to do with the show, and we take a lot more time than some people are used to hearing in a podcast to actually weave music in and out of the conversation, to uh, make it sound good on headphones, to to demonstrate that it's a conversation. We we treat the thing. We, we I believe conversation itself is a 
is an art form. Mm. And so we're trying, Bruce and I, my co-producer, we try to really frame every episode very, very carefully. That's why we only do one or two a month because it takes so much right. work to, to create each episode. And an episode, the one that we just dropped today with Grey Havens, and it's got a full half hour long feature about C.S. Lewis's influence on music over the last mm. 50 years. That took us days to make. Yeah. Uh, that's a 90 minute episode. So that's going to take people a while to listen to. Yeah. And the idea is go for a walk, put some headphones on, go for a walk or sit in your living room and put it on instead of the TV mm -hmm. and have somebody in your family sit there and listen with you. But a few years ago, my oldest son, uh, he has this progressive metal band that he loves, does mostly instrumental stuff. They're called Coheed and Cambria. And he had a new album that he was getting on vinyl uh, and he really was excited about it. And so he said, Hey dad, can, uh, this Coed record is coming out. I want to get a handful of friends to come together and listen to this. The first night that it comes out on vinyl, could we do something special? I want to listen to it on your turntable on your speakers. And I said, yeah, but my stuff was set up in my office. It'd be hard to fit, you know, mm -hmm. eight or 10 or whatever friends in my office. He goes, well, what I want to do is build a fire outside and I want to put the speakers out by the fire and I want to sit around the fire and listen to the record and stare at the fire and then talk about the music. Wow. And I was like, oh man, we will make that happen. Yeah. I went and bought a bunch of long speaker wire. and I just, <laughs> So the record was still in my office, but the speakers yeah. were out there. And these college kids all sat out there and listened to this progressive instrumental heavy metal record and stared at the fire. And then they talked about it and they had a great time. Then one of them said, Hey, was that Bob Dylan's new album sitting in your office that I saw? Uh. I said, yeah. And he goes, is that the one that's got the 21 minute song about the Titanic on it? And I said, yeah. Yeah. Cause it was a few years ago. Yeah. And, um, he goes, could we listen to that? I said, yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> so I put yeah. that on and then they listened to the Tempest record and then they talked about what it sounds like for Bob Dylan to contemplate mortality and talk about the futility of, of the Titanic in a 21 minute song that takes up the whole side of a record. And I thought, now this is the thing, those kids, they could have been texting. They could have been mm -hmm. looking at their phones. They didn't touch their phones the whole time wow. they were out there that night. Yeah. They weren't taking selfies. They weren't, they were looking at a campfire and listening to music. And I guarantee that that night will register in their brains yeah. as one of the most significant musical experiences, not just because they loved the music and not just because of the fire, not just because it was on vinyl. It's the yeah. cumulative effect of stopping with people and listening and then talking. Yeah. So however you do that, it could be over a meal. It could be, you know, some good coffee in the morning with, with a friend, but it's connect those things, connect music to people in a space where you have intentionality to it and realize that what we all want is to connect with each other. We, mm. we are on this same journey together. We yeah. are not as different as people out there want us to think that we are. And Facebook and all the social media is designed to put us in silos, to, yes. to use politics and use all this stuff to put us at enmity with each other. And music is one of those places where I, it's kind of like a sandbox for little kids where you can start to learn how tools work and gravity yeah. works. Like yeah. we can practice our discerning skills in a relatively safe environment and we can cultivate our tastes. We can yeah. expand our horizons. We can hear stories that will challenge us. Roger Ebert, the famous film critic said he called movies machines that generate empathy. Now, that might not apply to typical action fare, but he's talking about great films. Yeah. Great films are empathy machines. And if you think about it, that's absolutely true. The, the greatest films, what they do is they let you get into somebody else's story and walk in their shoes for a while. And, yeah. Oh my gosh, how scriptural is that? Yeah. And so music, I think for me, does that. It, it helps me feel somebody else's story. Now, the nice thing about doing this in the context of community and why we like house concerts so much mm -hmm. and we host them here and my wife and I go play house concerts, why I'm looking forward to getting out on the road and doing this True Tunes tour where I'll go talk, I'll, I'll speak at people's houses, I'll go sit. Because when we share our story, somebody sitting in the room with us or when we listen to a song, somebody else has another perspective on that song and it's going to elicit their perspective and their stories and yeah. then somebody else's stories. And all of a sudden this whole thing becomes three-dimensional. And we become humans again, as opposed to two-dimensional postage stamps with 
ideas that get <laughs> spammed at each other, yeah. you know, and it's a lot harder to hate people face to face than it is in person. And so uh, I really think that this, this is not in and of itself. It's not the end. Music isn't the end game. It's a means to an end. Sure. Community and uh, growth and all of that is really what, what we're going for. And um, anyway, so I think that if you, if you unplug your TV and if you severely curtail, if not cancel your uh, use of social media, I, tr I treat social media as part of my work, yeah. but I don't use it the way I used to. Um, and so I've got plenty of time for listening to music. And, and I try to make time for listening to music with my son so that we can talk about it. We share a playlist on Spotify. So yeah. the, the two of us can add songs to it together and he can always be introducing me to new stuff and I can introduce him to new stuff. So there's, there's, there's almost nobody that works so much that they can't do it, but yeah. there's going to be other things in their life that, you know, maybe they could, they could pair away that aren't building them up that yeah. aren't, that are just noise, you know? And so, um, but the thing about when we were kids, like you're saying, you took the record out, yeah. you put it on there, you looked at the thing. Let's not have music only be something that's happening in the background while we're doing something mm -hmm. else. You know, it's good. I, I, I'll put it on when I'm cleaning. I'm putting on when I'm running. I do all That's all great. I love that. But sometimes let's just stare into the fire or somebody else's face and yeah. listen to a song, you know? Well, it's, it's interesting that you say it this way. I was, I was interviewing about a year ago, Linda Randall. And we yeah. were talking about wow. the whole black lives and the, the struggle that our society is having. And again, she was talking about kind of like you were talking about, it's all this one way conversation on all of our social medias. And she was saying the best thing we can do in our racial context is to sit down and have a meal together. Right. And what you're talking about is similar, except that maybe instead of the meal is a, a couple of albums that... We invite people over, show me what you're listening to, here's yeah. what I'm listening to, and let's have a dialogue. And it's, again, like you said, building community, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast in the first place. How do we build this community together and discover new stuff? Yeah. I, I've just finished a novel that'll be coming out hopefully ah. before too long. It's getting uh, talked, we're talking to different publishers right yeah. now, but I, I created that. It, you know, uh, It's a fictional story about something I, I would love to see happen, but uh, I say it's a, it's a rock and soul fable uh, about the power of music to draw people into the power of community. But there's two characters in there. Uh, one is African-American, one's white. And part of their relationship building is exactly that. They trade vinyl records mm -hmm. and they, you know, so they're, they're, they get together once a week and give each other the record back and talk about it and then yeah. get another record, you know, and they just kind of keep this exchange going. And that becomes part of the thread of their relationship as, yeah. it, as it forms. Um, I've, I had a, I had a, a kid that was a friend of mine when I was a, a teenager and he loved Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and all this metal stuff that I didn't get, you know, yeah. and I was always trying to get him to listen to Christian metal only because I thought it was better for him. And I thought, I thought heavy metal was all evil because the packaging, you know, the sure. art was so yeah. evil <laughs> and I wasn't a metal head. I didn't really understand the music as much. And, uh, but then he sat down and played me some of Iron Maiden's music. And I was like, Oh, actually, okay. So this, this is actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Like this power slave, concept is pretty thoughtful and then he when he played me black sabbath which was like the ultimate scary evil thing we talked about this on the most recent episode of the podcast it was flat out christian rock i mean there was a song of black sabbath that was like do not follow the devil follow jesus get mm. saved yeah. you know i was yeah. like i had no idea yeah that when they were talking about the devil it was to say he's a bad guy yeah. don't go there you know and um I, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't, if Kurt and I didn't get together and <laughs> trade records and he would like, and then he would, some of the Christian metal, he would go, yeah, oh, this is okay. This is okay. But a lot of it, he'd go, well, here's where this isn't so good. Yeah. Like it sounds really tinny. Like mm. listen to these drums compared to these drums, or this yeah. guy sounds like he's playing just like Ingve Malmsteen. Let me play you Ingve Malmsteen. And then you can hear what he's trying to sound like. And I right. realized, wow, some Christian rock really is just kind of like a B level version of something else but then sometimes he would hear something and go oh now this this is really good yeah and so you know it's good to have have those kinds of relationships it stretches us you know so let's we've talked about listening to music better 
Mm-hmm. Let's look at the phrase listening yeah. to better music. So uh, one of the things that I've been very aware of is the commercialization of music, which yeah. there's pros and cons to that. I mean, people have to feed their families. I get that. But a lot of times I think people are saying, okay, this has sold well in the past for this artist. So the record label is going, please make more of this so I can sell some of that. So it becomes this cookie cutter stuff. Uh, and and there's not as many popular or readily available that way, you have to dig for it, of, of songs that are really written out of the angst of the of the heart of the author or the joy of the author. How do we find that better music? And what do you mean by better music? And I probably showed my hand on what I'm thinking, but... <laughs> <laughs> A big part of it is back to that idea of, of community. It's like, well, I'm, I've got what I think is better, you know, and, but then you've got what you think is better. And so part of the fun of it is for us to argue about that, you know, and fight. <laughs> right. And I'll tell you that Kiss sucks and you can tell me why you think Kiss is the best band ever. And yeah. I love that argument because I know I'm right. You know, and if you love, and, and so I'll take that. And I, but, yeah. but the fun is the relationship, right? Yeah. And I've got friends that I, I'm dear friends with, and I'll have that fight forever, right? Because I value the fight yeah. because that's what brothers and sisters do. We that's fight, the interaction, and it's, yeah. <laughs> and our relationship sustains it, right? And so part of it is that it's, it's playful, but it also means that sometimes, a lot of times, I have learned, I've changed my mind. And the ability and the willingness to learn and change our mind to realize and admit that we were wrong. Mm-hmm. That is actually a sign of strength. Yes. And in this era, in this day and age, we are often told, whether we're told it literally or it's suggested to us, mm-hmm. we can never admit we're wrong. We can never change our minds. Right. In the Christian community, changing your mind about something is often called backsliding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. you're compromising. No, that's growth. That's yeah. what people do when they grow. New information has been given to me. And now I'm, I'm hearing your story and I'm hearing your tastes and I'm hearing why this music means something to you. And now I can, I can layer that into my story and I can appreciate something on a different level. And so listening to better music can mean I've come to a better understanding of something I previously didn't appreciate because I've got a relationship with somebody now and it helps me do that. But there is also discernment involved because there is some stuff that is poorly made. There is some stuff that is cheap, disposable, plastic. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of stuff that in my last book, Jesus Bread and Chocolate, Mm -hmm. I talk about the difference between white wonder bread and handcrafted, homemade, whole grain, good bread, or the kind of coffee. I roast my own coffee here at my, at home. And my son is a, is a coffee guy. You know, there's coffee that you spend a little bit more for, but you're getting really good coffee. Um, there is a discernment that has to kick in or that can kick in. If we want to be able to discern something that's of better quality from something that's of poorer quality. Sometimes that is the lyrics. Some lyrics of some Christian music are just dumb. Like just because it's Christian doesn't mean it's good. I mean, and that goes back to when I was a kid, there was Christian music in the eighties that was really popular and really stupid. And then in the nineties, there was Christian music that was massively successful and really dumb. And there was Christian music that was really respected and really great. And it really wasn't much better. Yeah. Now, what makes it good? What and Sometimes it's because it's not factually or theologically true. And that, you know, that's, that's something, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's also just not important. It's not helpful. It's Give not, us an example. Not of a specific no, song. I don't maybe. Know. <laughs> no, I mean, not of a specific <laughs> song, but like a okay. concept. Yeah. Oh, okay. A concept. Yeah. Worship songs that basically um, tell me how somebody else feels like making out with Jesus, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like these kind of overly romantic, effusive, affectionate metaphors for the ecstasy that they're feeling constantly about being caught up in this emotional whirlwind that, that literally you could take the language out and make it a a love song Mm -hmm. to a a lover. But it's really, uh, now it's, you put it in this context and it's this, it's a worship song. Now, I'm not at all taking away from if that was an authentic experience that someone had and they were right. caught up in a rapturous moment. That's fine. But in the in my musical diet or, or for anybody else's experience, is that really helpful? Is that really yeah. good? Artistically, is it something interesting? Right? Yeah. And I think that discerning that 
on all those three-dimensional levels, that requires some skill. But here's the thing. <laughs> Discernment is the hardest thing human beings do mm-hmm. and a, yeah. a, across the board. We hate yep. it. Yep. We don't like it. And this is something that, that I've been borderline obsessed with for the last probably 15 <laughs> years. Um, as a pastor, as a parent, and as an artist, I've started to realize that that we really offload discernment as fast as we can. And this is a species-wide problem okay. and advantage. Because frankly, if we didn't, we would never get anything done. Our brains are yeah, designed to offload discernment. Because because I don't want to rethink which toothpaste I need, right? Yeah. I've, I've looked into it and I decided years ago that I liked Arm & Hammer baking soda peroxide toothpaste, right? Yep. And so for years, I just go, because if every time I go to the store, I'm going to look at every single option, I'm going to read all the, I'll never get anything done. So I just, I come up with one, I make the decision, I do all that critical left brain thinking analysis, and then I have a brand and I become loyal to that brand until mm-hmm. new information comes out. Yeah. Somebody challenges it, which just happened because my dentist said, the reason your teeth are getting so sensitive is because you're 50 now and that toothpaste is probably contributing to making your teeth more sensitive. Interesting. You at this age should try this toothpaste. Well, yeah. now new, I have to admit, okay, new information. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I got to try something new. I have and to re-discern. Little, yeah. I have to re-discern, yeah. right? Try something else. Yeah. Change a little bit, right? Now, you you apply that to things like our theology, our worship practices, our political ideas, how we think society should be organized, how we treat our neighbors. All of a sudden you realize we tend to want to stick to certain things because difficult decisions, once we've made them, we don't want to think about it anymore. Right? Yeah. Now, if it's your car brand, I'm a Ford guy, I'm a Chevy guy, or what soda you drink or something like that, you know, that's one thing. Until eventually somebody comes along and says, you shouldn't be drinking soda at all anymore, man. <laughs> it's killing you. Yeah, you go, okay, yeah. I'm just going to drink water from now on. Yeah. So when it comes to music, I think that you could love disco and I could hate disco and we can be friends and we can debate that. But even the, even the, process of discerning what makes music good, what makes the sound of it good, what makes the mix good, what makes the musicianship good, what makes that lyric good. The act of learning how to discern that, whether it's me on my own or us in the context of community, that is building discernment muscles and the ability for me to both influence you Mm -hmm. and be influenced by you. Mm -hmm. And that, those discernment muscles and that teachability, I believe, will be useful in other contexts because muscles are muscles. Discernment is discernment. And I think that as I learn how to discern that lyric being kind of selfish, that lyric being kind of vapid, (laughs) kind of silly, or I'm listening to something that other people might consider to be secular music. And then I can go, whoa, man, this lyric is profound. Like, I want everybody to think about this. Yeah. I want everybody. To, I just saw this band Dawes and I love this band Dawes. I mean, they are one of the most gospel sounding mainstream rock bands I've ever heard. And every time I go to their show, I end up almost in tears at some point because they are so keyed in on the human condition and they're so full of compassion. They want their audience to, to feel good, not just in an escapist way, but in understanding that we are all stuck in the human condition. And the key to it is to hear each other's stories and to yeah. find healing. So, whether they are Christians or not is, I don't know, yeah. but I do feel like that process of discernment helps me recognize something beautiful in their music. So in the process of coming to this over the last 15 years or so, I've realized, boy, that same thing helps me be a better neighbor to the person that lives next door, mm-hmm. helps me be a better coworker, because now I can, I can apply that discernment, not only to discerning if you're right or wrong about what you're saying, but if I'm right or wrong about what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like, yeah. and it's just, it's like music and art in general, I think is a great playground where we get to practice discernment and become better at it. And then we apply those skills to how we are human beings. And art is such a gift. I think God gives us so that we can, again, like Ebert says, it's a, it's an empathy machine. And we don't get to empathy without discernment or otherwise we're just bleeding hearts, uh, crying about everything, or we're just completely turned off and angry about everything. That's not going to help anybody. Well, and what I'm hearing you say too, it struck me as, you know, with a commodity like toothpaste, it really doesn't change. But as music is being put out all the time and 
you can go through experiences that change your focus on things, change how you're... Fig- and so every song or every album that you put out really needs to be discerned again because sure. it isn't the same song that we just bought for the last 10 years, right? right. And so yeah. again, this is another opportunity for us to come alongside each other and say, okay, this is how this is working with me and how I'm feeling this and the, the things that I'm seeing about this. And I love your concept about talking through it with people. Um, you know, I've been documenting music for, for decades and documenting, uh, on my site. And my problem is I'm, I've been a lousy, um, uh, I don't, I don't review product very well. Hmm. And probably the reason for that is because I don't have this exchange that I've got with friends to where we're talking hmm. about it and saying, what right. makes this better A than B right. kind of a thing. And so I love the thought of working together with each other and saying, okay, how, can we get more out of this than just this background noise that we have, you know, running right. along behind us? Yeah. And, you know, part of that is, is actually thinking first, is this really all about me? Mm. Like is, is because if your goal is to say, I'm going to judge all of this, like here, this, this record right here. Well, this, I, I grabbed the wrong one. This is Randy Stonehill's 1971 record. Born Sweet 20, so yep. This is a great record. Yeah. But am I going to judge this based on me? Like, this is all about what do I think about this record? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to evaluate this. That's pretty selfish, mm-hmm. you know, like, but, but is that, and that's really what a lot of critics do. It's just, this is my taste. This is my thing. And I'm, or if we understand music as essentially and primarily a communal experience, am I going to also factor in what this record means to other people? Now, where that really comes in and why I think this is important is because as we age, as we have more experience, hopefully we have more wisdom. We Mm. have more conversations in our background. We've traveled more. We've eaten more food. We've met people around the world. And we've, we, there's all this stuff A friend, Peter Furler from the newsboys told me this years ago, we were at an event and I was really discouraged. I was about ready to just get out of this whole thing because I was so sick of all of it. Mm -hmm. And he said, man, you can't. He said, he goes, all these experiences God's given us are not for us. It's for the kingdom. It's for the community. He said, it's all an investment that we are here as a vessel. And then our job is to just keep paying it into the community. So am I still going to be listening to the music that young people are listening to? Because is my role here just about me? And I listen to young people's music. Do I go, ah, that stuff, man, you should have heard my music. My music's better than your music because blah, 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 blah. Or when I hear their music, even if I feel like, it lacks some melody compared to what I like, or it, it, can I get into that song and actually say, what are they trying to accomplish? What are the questions they're asking? What are they going for? What are the, what's the, what's the heart longing after in this thing? And that's where the empathy can come from. Now, sometimes I might say, you know what? I hear what you're going for here. Yeah. And here's, here's where I can resonate with it. And, and here's where I think you could do better right? There's a conversation as opposed to just get off my lawn, you stupid kid. Yeah. And that's the generational silo, social media playlist wall kind of thing that I want to avoid at all costs. And so when you're talking about reviewing or uh, music, and and this is the challenge, I've been doing this since I was a kid, but I realized as you say that I had an advantage in that my first, my very first out the gate reviewing music experiences were as a person selling music in the community. Mm. I had a record store and I had regular customers that came in all the time. My job wasn't to sit behind a keyboard and write reviews for a magazine to make me look cool. It was to serve customers that were coming in over and over and over again. And I had to get to know what their tastes were, what their story was, what they were interested in so that I could help them as basically help them assemble a soundtrack for their life. Yeah. And True Tunes, when it first opened, that's what it was. We were like basically the the massive mixtape center for <laughs> a couple thousand people yeah. that didn't fit anywhere else. Like yeah. we, they were too weird for the church, too churchy for the rest of the world. Like we were the bubble. We were like the weird little snow dome over a bunch of freakish spiritual Christian people that were, mm-hmm. we, we wanted to hang out. We were more comfortable musically in the mainstream 
but we kind of still wanted some community with each other on spiritual things. And we didn't want to sound like, like I, I loved it when people could be in true tunes for an hour shopping and listening to stuff before they realized there was something different about us. Mm. Like they felt that comfortable around yeah. the store. And that, that idea that, you know, when I, I realized actually one of the artists that was one of my favorites who, who later was said, you know, I really love it when you do an interview or when you write about us, because it seems like your goal is to really help us communicate to the readers, yeah. not to frame us in some way that, that is part of your imagination. Yeah. And I, I was like, I don't understand. Like, of course, isn't that what everybody's trying to do? But then I realized that a lot of writers are trying to kind of take a snapshot of the artist and then frame it to make the, the writer look good. Right? Yeah. And so um, I'm still trying to do that. And we make a playlist every week, 40 songs a week on Spotify. I curate every Wednesday. So people want to discover new music. They want to be reminded of old music, follow that playlist. And you know, when you find something you like, add it to your playlist, but then share that with your friends yeah. and then listen to what they're listening to and then get together and talk about it. But when you hear something, you're like, what in the world are you thinking? This is terrible. <laughs> like, why yeah. do you keep putting, you know, somebody's like, why do you keep putting so many, you know, whatever, yeah. R&B songs or rap songs? Or, yeah. so, because it's not their thing. I'm like, man, I love that stuff yeah. because I've been listening to that for so long. I've been in that world that I genuinely, but at first it was, it was because I was listening to the stories of people and that's what they, that was their music. Now yeah. I genuinely love it. But if you don't, that's fine. But listen to the stories, yeah. like listen to the, that and, and, and engage it and see if it can, it can generate some empathy. Well, John, I end every podcast the same way. I ask my guests, uh, we send out a prayer newsletter every Saturday and uh, we have about 500 folks that are praying for people praying for musicians, praying for people in the industry. How can we specifically be praying for you and True Tunes and the stuff that's in front of you in the next couple of weeks? Oh, I appreciate that. And I, I do have a specific thing. I, so I recently ended my most recent part-time uh, associate dean position at Treveca, um, which was a great season. Um, and I do a lot of consulting and management for different artists and stuff. But that, that slot, I'm trying to be prayerful and mindful and open to figure out what I'm going to do with that slot. And it's, it's, uh, that was, that was where our health insurance came from. And these days that's just crazy expensive. And yeah. so there's a little bit of a financial concern there, but there's also just, you know, a sense that I want to be smart. Everything I've done with true tunes and with the podcast, I've not made a penny. All it does is cost me money yep. and it's been very missional. And I feel like with the release of this Jesus music film and stuff, there's more visibility than, than I've had in years. I want to be a good steward of that and, and make the right decision over this next couple months about those hours that have just become available on a monthly basis. You know, how, what's the best way to use those things with writing, with speaking, with is it that or is it another gig somewhere? Or, you know, just you only got so many hours you can yeah. you can do and uh, I, I fight against that but yeah. um, I'm trying to be smart so I would appreciate prayer for discernment in my own allocation of time you know so, yeah. and that the right opportunities and uh, things would present themselves yeah. I'd like to thank John Thompson for sharing his thoughts with us today as a lifelong fan of Christian music, I've made most of my listening about what I like to hear. But I really appreciate John's encouragement for us to use music as a tool to drive community. How can we turn music from something we do by ourselves, listening to music in our headphones, and turn it into an opportunity to connect with people and learn more about their walk and their faith? Turn music into opportunities to spend time together and share about our lives with each other. I really appreciate that thought that music is a tool for community. This exchange with John has also encouraged me to be more intentional about the music I'm listening to. Am I being intentional about what comes through my ears and into my brain? Or do I just use music as background noise? I can't tell you how many times I'll be going about my day and realize I'm singing a song that I heard earlier in the week. Is it a song that is worth singing? Are the lyrics things that I want to be speaking out loud? 
I'd never really thought about carefully discerning what music I let into my head and how that might impact me. As is so often the case, I ran out of time to share everything that John and I talked about in this podcast. We actually spend another 15 minutes or so talking about the impact the Christian music industry plays in programming our music. And John has some very interesting thoughts about how we as listeners and consumers could actually change the quality of music being released by the quote-unquote industry. And you can hear the rest of that conversation on my Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com slash ccmexchange. There you'll find a few opportunities to support the work of this podcast. And yes, hear the rest of the conversation with John Thompson. The Aftercast with John J. Thompson is available for you to hear at patreon.com slash ccmexchange. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>